This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Monday, 20th of February, 2023, and markets uh, trying to rally into the close, trying to post a significant reversal. And it was a reversal, but we're still within this nervous range, at least in the U.S. equity market. I think the more interesting action in the driver here was the U.S. Treasury market, where we saw, uh, finally saw yields rolling over, posting a new high for the cycle. Uh, pretty much all across the yield curve, but those uh, uh, those highs didn't hold, and so the, the bond market finding some support ahead of a three-day weekend. So we do have U.S. markets closed for today. But uh, this uh, lower U.S. Treasury yields, I saw the dollar also rolling over, and that was a, a key development as well because the dollar was sort of breaking free of some, some interesting levels, and that reversal puts the whole situation into doubt, as I will look at later with the uh, coverage of FX. But uh, Peter, it's, you know, and in the meantime, we have, well, let's we'll talk about the geopolitical situation here, but that was not in evidence on Friday. Uh, we're still just holding our breaths here, uh, Peter. I saw some headline. I don't know if you want to address this because I'm not sure you saw the same headline, but there was something about the, the rate of retail inflowing uh, into stocks right now is, is actually beyond some peak there was pr prior to uh, perhaps during the whole bubble phase in uh, in late 2020 and early 2021. But um, I, I get a feeling there's a lot of uh, there's a very heavy speculative element out here not respecting uh, the, the implications of these uh, Treasury yields. Yeah, we we have talked about it on the podcast and we also had discussions um, on the trading floor on this uh, on Thursday and Friday. There's absolutely no doubt that retail investors are back in town. <clears throat> I suspect they're not back in town in the way you used to describe there. It's it's not more crazy than it was during the pandemic, not at all. But we, we have seen, and, and we had a conversation about this in our internal call this morning, that AI has been used as a, as a catchphrase and a hook to get some retail investors back into the game. You you hear about you know an obscure fund that is up 200% in a very short time just because it had something with AI. And you've seen the, the crazy speculation in China, also US-related AI stocks. And um, I would like to, we'll, we'll come back to a little bit of discussion about AI because um, I think it's an important one um, to broaden out the scope. But for this, you know, on slide two, <clears throat> I just want to emphasize that we had the weakest close in the S&P 500 futures for the month of February. So all the gains have evaporated. What was clear on Friday was that very few uh, parts of the market were actually doing well. And as you can see, it was actually defense and the next-gen medicine basket. If you take the week as a whole, bubble stocks held up pretty well, being the best performer, despite the rally we had in, in interest rates. And I, speak, I think that speaks to the connection you made there, John, that there is a disregard, fundamental disregard for geopolitical risk, but also the risk to the outlook, both on inflation and the long-term interest rate. And we know that the bubble stocks are moved around on the margin by the retail investors. I think that's the angle there. But I want to zoom in very quickly on the defense defense, defense basket there, John, because I, I agree with your assessment. We, you and I, we, we, uh, we texted back and forth last night, and I said, uh, look at the look at the blinking and 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 Wang uh, comments back and forth on on the potential. You are saying they might have credible evidence showing that China is gearing up or is already maybe delivering ammunition to uh, to Russia for the war in in Ukraine. And, and I, I I texted you and I said, holy shit! Uh, if that's really the case, I mean you can you can kiss globalization goodbye, and then we enter a totally new uh, territory here. It's not to be uh, too a doomsayer, but I think we need to respect. The, the, the potential geopolitical risk this week with the one-year anniversary of the invasion in, in Ukraine. Yeah, fully agree there. And to my mind, I've, you know, just to chill down the back when you see this kind of exchange, 
we need to watch uh, what happens here, um, the nature of China's response, whether it continues to deny, and maybe there are some sort of aid coming through, but if it's only a trickle or if, or if it just uh, blasts back, uh, whatever, whatever happens. We need to be very careful here. We need to recognize, also recognize the fact that uh, the returns in the market have been good for a full calendar year, and here we are faced with potentially the worst geopolitical risk uh, in, in modern memory, uh, depending on the nature of that response. So need to respect that. Uh, well, I don't know if you're seeing much nervousness in your space here on this. Um, certainly, we, we talked a little bit about, Peter, you and I, and I believe you mentioned it on the podcast as well last Friday. So we have this whole narrative around the Chinese recovery coming back online uh, with or without the whole geopolitical situation. But beyond that first big impulse we saw uh, to some degree in December, but especially in January, there hasn't been much sign of this in commodities uh, yet, uh, or has there? Or at least a follow-through. No, exactly. And uh, but and what we have seen is uh, producers have started to ramp up production in anticipation of a, of a pickup in demand. We we've seen that in in copper. I just put that in on slide four here today, uh, where we can see the inventory levels that is monitored by warehouses in uh, in London, Shanghai, and, and New York. Uh, they have risen quite strongly during the past month. Uh, we are seeing signs of that starting to roll over. And um, there was a report out from JP Morgan based saying we are getting close to an inflection point there where potentially uh, demand will start to exceed the uh, supply. So um, so all in all, the copper market is actually one of the markets that has taken this uh, correction during the past few weeks uh, uh, the best. Uh, we have not really taken out any key levels. Uh, we're holding above that 400 level or $4 per pound level. Uh, while other metals like gold and uh, and uh, and in the energy sector crude oil has uh, has has come back down again. So, so overall, uh, there are signs that the recovery is starting to gather some pace, and uh, that means uh, with that we obviously maintain our our bullish outlook for for the the sector. Also, just uh, highlighting an announcement uh, that came over the weekend um, or news that uh, further uh, a province in China has uh, further uh, asked for aluminium production to be be reduced due to lack of power. They've uh, been suffering from low hydro uh, activity in, in recent months, and uh, that that is uh, underpinning price of aluminium this morning as well. So that's uh, leading into this uh, the bit we're seeing in copper. Yeah, it was even uh, our, our strategist in France, Christopher Dembeck, uh, highlighting as well. There'd been no rain in France for something like a record period of time. And their, their energy outlook is also being affected because of the hydro generation being potentially an issue here. So this is a you know, it seems like everything is getting thrown at the uh, energy sector in the last uh, last year. And I think that, uh, talking about that, uh, John, I think we also need to keep a close eye on the wheat prices. Um, they are relatively weak uh, at, at the moment, uh, has been bouncing uh, somewhat in, in recent weeks, but uh, it was... Uh, it was in Chicago. It was one of the most shorted uh, contracts uh, before the the uh, the cyber attack left these cut reports uh, um, out in the dark, uh, and they will be remain in the dark for for several weeks to come. But uh, just keep an eye on wheat because the uh, the ongoing conflict in Ukraine is it will eventually also start to uh, raise some questions about the farmers' ability to uh, plant wheat for the coming season. In and if we have uh, France, uh, a very key producer of uh, wheat as well, uh, suffering from drought already at this point then it's, uh, it's a mark we need to keep an eye on. And we might as well uh, round out the commodity section. Uh, just uh, taking a look at uh, crude oil, you mentioned gold before, but gold is not really doing much. We're holding up, uh, looking for potentially a small geopolitical bit this week, but uh, we'll keep an eye on that as well. But in the crude oil market, it's, it's quite clear to see that we've been range-bound since November. We had another uh, week of weakness last week, but overall the market is just basically torn between the prospect of a pickup in 
in demand from China, which is, uh, according to Goldman Sachs, is already up by 1 million barrels a day since the November low. And the inventory, uh, strong inventory built that we've seen in the, in the U.S. recently. So these two are basically offsetting each other. So for now, the oil market is, uh, remains range-bound, but the outlook for demand this year is, is still very positive. Last week, we saw upgrades from both the uh, EIA, no, the, yeah, the IEA and OPEC uh, regarding uh, oil demand this year. This year. And if you've been wondering why, uh, I just mentioned before, why we haven't been publish, publishing our weekly cut reports uh, for a couple of weeks now, it's basically due to that cyber attack that, appa- that occurred back in uh, late January. It basically means all reports have been uh, has been suspended. Uh, they will start to resume uh, reporting this uh, this Friday, but it will probably take another three to four weeks before we're back to uh, to live reporting. So uh, we're basically not getting any any input on how speculators are responding to all this volatility we had in across markets uh, in recent weeks. Uh, also in the dollar, where there was, there was quite a, a build up of a dollar short. How how have they responded to uh, to the dollar strength re- seen recently? So um, so plenty of un- plenty of unanswered answered questions to which we will not get the answers for for more any for several more weeks to come all right if we go back to the fx space you mentioned there slide three so as i uh, as i noted with the u.s treasury yields rolling over after posting those cycle highs uh this part of the cycle we were above that uh, late december high in the 10-year for example not quite up above four uh, percent or not even hitting four percent still uh there was a rollover there it did impact the dollar and no big surprise the dollar yen rolling over not an aggressive move just yet it just it's a bit of a disappointment those looking for a dollar comeback uh, Euro dollar, for example, also rebounding from for touching new lows below the 106.50 area, and pretty much uh, the same story across the board for dollar pairs. A couple of uh, things to note here this week, uh, besides the whole geopolitical risk, uh, and I assume that would uh, feed mostly into dollar, but potentially also yen strength uh, if we see something uh, going on that impacts the uh, uh, yields further, we see yields crushed. If yields are crushed in an environment of uh, abject fear, uh, the, the yield angle on the dollar matters less than the abject fear angle, and it's about liquidity. And uh, I think the dollar would do well. I think the Japanese yen would do well on repatriation flows in that type of scenario. But uh, things to focus on otherwise, uh, all that aside, we have a, supposedly we should be having a Ueda hearing. So Katsu Ueda, the new nominee to replace Kuroda at the Bank of Japan, uh, will be up with a hearing and his speech will be very closely watched because he's a little bit of a closed book on where he stands. Academic, he's not a radical ideologue, but well, anything he says, the market will be very sensitive to that. We also have an RBNZ meeting up on Wednesday, and there's increasing momentum behind the idea that they simply will skip a hike because of these devastating floods that have hit New Zealand. It does not play bad, uh, play very well uh, PR-wise, and I think that makes a lot of sense. But does this impact the sort of the two-year rate and the you know the guidance beyond? Uh, this uh, near-term situation. It's certainly affecting the Kiwi this week, if less so uh, actual New Zealand rates. But it's a you know a small story to keep an eye on, as is the story this morning of Swedish inflation coming in very hot. We saw the core at plus 0.4% versus minus 0.2% month on month. That's the core. And on the year-on-year, 8.7%, uh, actually accelerating from the 8.4% previously rather than dropping to 8.2% year-on-year. Swedish Krona responding to that. Eurostocky looks uh, quite bearish. It's taken some time here to get some follow through, but uh, watch that one as the key, uh, sort of the key metric for or proxy for the direction of the Swedish Krona. All right. Of course, a big geopolitical crowd uh, cloud over everything, uh, Peter. But uh, we saw some interesting uh, reports last week. A deer, a company that has really transformed itself from being a machine maker, uh, a farm equipment maker, and, and adding all these analytics and information. Uh, 
portfolio to its product offering. Look at that chart there on slide seven, the five-year chart, a remarkable expansion of its uh, stock price there in 2020. What was the read on Friday? The read was that they lifted the uh, the net income outlook for this fiscal year by 750 million at the lower end of the bound, the range they gave uh, previously. So that's a very big change in a very short time frame there for for Deer. And and you're right, we talked about it this morning that you know everyone is obsessed about you know talking about AI and ChatGPT in the in the, in the digital, world, digital world, but the world needs a lot of productivity gains and innovation going forward from here to support the uh, you know economic growth and and also you know the demographic burden. And, and that's why we talked about, you know, the, maybe the most interesting aspect is actually the, the merge between, you know, AI, data analytics, machine learning, call it what you want, and the physical world. And there is one of those cases. Tesla, you could argue, is another one with self-driving technology. But that right now, as we talked about in the podcast last week, there is this recall of 362,000 vehicles, which is not really a recall, but it's just a, a very, um, you know, a, a, demand, a, demand, a demand for a software upgrade, which is, is coming through very quickly as well. But then as well, the weekend, you you had a, a terrible uh, accident. Hasn't been confirmed yet whether that accident with a Tesla car was, was self-driving uh, software enabled, but the, the, um, the driver in the U.S. slammed into a... a a fire truck that was uh, standing still, basically on the I don't know whether it was a highway or a, or a, or a interstate where it road or whatever it was, but it, it they they collided and the driver died. Um, and I think it underscores the the difficulties in AI as soon as you go into the real world. This whole discussion, I think, we'll have more about that in the future. What is a correlation machine and what is actually a causation machine? It's a it's a very fascinating topic, and I can really recommend the book by Judea Pearl, which is a very renowned uh, mathematician and and father of Bayesian networks, basically, he, he talks a lot, about, a lot about that in his book, uh, The Book of Why. Um, so, Dia, I think, is an interesting case of this convergence or merging of the two uh, parts of the world. And if we move to the next, so that was on, on slide seven, by the way, and as John said, very impressive share price development. And I think this share price was up almost 8% on, on Friday. Slide eight, the earnings watch. The earnings is weak. We will start tonight with BH, uh, uh, BHP Group, which is one of the largest iron ore mega uh, miners in the world, if, not, if it's not the biggest one. And they don't report quarterly, so they have a semi-annual uh, reporting frequency. And as you can see, the first half result for the fiscal year 2023, which ends in June, the first half year ended in December. And as you can see, analysts are expecting uh, top-line growth to be down 13%. On the revenue side there and, and earnings per share down 28 percent and that's obviously because iron ore prices have rolled over to a lower level than what we had uh, six months ago and then if we look ahead for the uh, for the week uh, hsbc always an interesting one with their big exposure to to asia and then walmart and home depot on the consumer side of things in the us uh, it's worth a watch and then wednesday rio tend to another uh, big iron ore miner genmap the biggest biotech firm here in denmark Still ramping up uh, production, very interesting pipeline there. Then none, you can argue, from a consumer angle as well, French company. And then NVIDIA, I think, is the hi highlight of the week with uh, being you know, a top 20 stock in the world, very large uh, technology, technology company. And then uh, Baidu as well on Wednesday. And then BAE System, I think the, the strong performance among defense companies, the, the panic mode, the sense of urgency among European politicians on the Munich conference, security conference, to shore up and expand and accelerate ammunition production and weaponry production, I think will fuel growth basically for the next three, four, five years. And I think the growth will be much 
uh, larger than anyone can actually expect. And the BAE system is one of the most advanced uh, defense companies we have here in Europe. So watch that one. And then BA BASF, horrible name, but Europe's largest chemical uh, chemical maker they report on Friday. All right, let's uh, look at the calendar for the macro calendar for the rest of the week. As indicated, the U.S. is closed for President's Day. I have apologies for not flagging that on Friday. It's one of those uh, market holidays it's hard to remember because nobody celebrates it except for the markets in the U.S. Uh, Reeks Bank minutes are up to, uh, this morning. They're already out as we're speaking here. And I mentioned that Swedish CPI data. So there's there's a lot going on in Sweden in terms of uh, need, need to adjust policy-wise, plus the risks to the housing sector from these higher rates. Uh, but I think it's more interesting to look ahead. Uh, so uh, tomorrow with those Eurozone flash PMIs, an interesting read on the status of the European uh, better-than-expected uh, sort of dealing with uh, the pressures from last year. And if that is continuing or we're just kind of rumbling along at around 50 on these PMIs, uh, that one's good as well as or interesting as well as the ZEW survey and the IFO the following days from Germany. Again, we uh, previewed that New Zealand RBNZ uh, on Wednesday and whether they may skip the hike this time around for the uh, due to the natural uh, disaster there. And the FMC minutes up on Wednesday ahead of at some point. I don't have a calendar on the calendar yet because I couldn't find it. But uh, Katsueda, the new nominee to replace Kuroda, the Bank of Japan, he should be out speaking sometime this week. We'll try to get a, uh, a beat on that. And we have the Japanese CPI data as well on Friday. All of that uh, key going into the March 10th final meeting from uh, Kuroda. Who could he make an appointment uh, uh, by some small declaration of victory and a bigger than expected policy adjustment to pave the way for Ueda's arrival? I don't know, but it, that could be a, an interesting CPI release as well. And then the U.S. January PCE inflation, not a huge uh, mover, I don't think, unless there's a big surprise there because it does come a bit late relative to the BLS numbers, but one to stay tuned for. We also have two five- and seven-year auctions this week from the U.S., starting with a two-year tomorrow. All right, but let's uh, let's all keep our, our helmets on here and consider that, and hopefully not, but this is a very, uh, there's a huge risk on the geopolitical front, depending on the nature of China's response. Let's all respect that and see what develops in the coming days and weeks. Keep our risk levels reasonable. And uh, yeah, we'll be back tomorrow with the Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>